Hello, this is Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnut. <laughs> and what are we doing, Jasmine? Well, we're talking, Cheryl, about women worth knowing. <laughs> mm. And I heard you've got quite a few women yeah, worth knowing today. Yeah, we're actually going plural today. Instead of a woman, we're doing several women. <laughs> well, you're doing so, several women. Well, I'm doing several, yes. And I'm going to be here just Oh, along oh, for the ride. And I might just be learning about <laughs> well, women I should know. There we go. Yeah, because what happened was um, I wanted to do something a little bit different today. You know, we we shared about Fanny Crosby and Francis Ridley Havergale, and since we're talking about these poets and hymn writers, um, I was going through actually like this devotional I have called Her Story uh, by Diana Lynn Severance, and I'll. Put that resource on the website. Uh, but she just has like all these little snippets about other women who wrote hymns and poetry. And so I thought, you know what? Let's just do a podcast shout out to these gals. So that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to just boom, 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 touch on several gals that maybe we don't have like some big long biography on, but just so you can get uh, some encouragement from several different women that the Lord um, used to uh, write uh, poems and hymns for his glory. So <laughs> I'm going to start out with, again, like I said, we're going to go boom, boom, boom through these. The first one I want to mention, her name is Charlotte Elliott, and she was born in 1789 in Clapham, England. And her grandfather, Henry Venn, was uh, part of the Clapham sect. And that's going to come up later because the Clapham sect uh, right. had a lot to do with the William Wilberforce. Wilberforce. And then I'm going to talk about Hannah Moore in a little bit. And, and like this has to do with the, were, they they met together to pray for the emancipation and the yes. end of slavery. Yes. They were huge for the abolitionist mm -hmm. movement, mm -hmm. as well as just social reform. I mean, they mm -hmm. were just awesome in what they did. And so that was her legacy, the legacy in her family, real strong Christian roots. Uh, as a young woman, she was a poet and a portrait painter, and she actually became kind of popular in her neck of the woods. But in her 30s, she started having health issues. And like I said, she came from this amazing Christian legacy, a Christian family, but she had never given her life to the Lord personally. I think that happens a lot where you have like somebody that's just maybe like churchy, I guess that's mm -hmm. what my mom would say. Mm -hmm. <laughs> They're just churchy. Mm -hmm. They go to church. But she basically went into a depression over her health, uh, partly because she felt so useless, but also she became kind of angry and bitter at God. Like, how could you let this happen in my life? I mean, she just really didn't uh, understand how this could happen to her. And so when she was 33, she's at home, you know, just struggling with her health and a visiting evangelist uh, came through and he was actually able in the midst of, you know, she kind of had an outburst with him because she was so angry at God. Somehow the Lord gave him a boldness to just address the issue in her heart and be like, Charlotte, <laughs> like God, you know, God loves you and he wants to take you just as you are right now. And, you know, I mean, he just really spoke truth to her and the love of God and it broke her. You know, it just broke through that wall and that resistance. And Jesus transformed her life in that moment. And so even though she was now entering um, a period where she really just became an invalid, uh, she began to write hymns. And actually, 115 of her hymns were included in something called the Invalid's Handbook, uh, Hymn Book. That actually was uh, something was produced. Kind of interesting. You know, it's interesting because we've talked before about how many of these hymn writers, and you mentioned it this morning too, um, came out of a a background of deep suffering. Yes. I mean, yes. Fanny Crosby was blind. I talked about Frances Havergill, who she had was sick. Yeah. terrible health issues. Yeah. Uh, and now this too. And another one I'm thinking of, and I might mention her, this mm. broadcast would be like Annie Johnson Flint. 
Yes. Yes. That, we'll another get to that. Story yes. Like, yes, exactly. And so uh, it's kind of neat. Her most famous hymn was written during a season of fundraising in the church. They were trying to fundraise uh, to help support a girls' school. And this was, again, one of those moments where everybody's busy around her setting up projects and bazaars and doing all this stuff. And she's feeling just helpless and wanting to contribute, fighting against that bitterness that was trying to creep back in. And uh, it was in this frustration. I I can't remember if it was like during the night or one morning early. She got up and said, you know what? I'm just going to choose to look at all the blessings the Lord is giving me. I'm going to choose to look at, uh, you know, look at what the Lord has done in my life and know that he uh, can use me just as I am. And so guess what Him, (laughs) She wrote out of this, out of this period of frustration, the Lord Gave her just as I I am am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. That was the hymn that came out of this period. Fun fact, W.B. Bradbury actually wrote the music for that. He was the guy who was involved with Fanny Crosby's hymns, if you remember that from the podcast. So he actually wrote the music to this hymn, Just As I Am. And so it's so neat because uh, they raised a lot of funds from this hymn, and those were used for the school, which really was cool for her to see how it uh, contributed. But... We know it eventually became one of the most influential hymns of all time. It's really identified a lot with the Billy Graham Crusades uh, as leading a lot of people to Christ. Um, Kenneth Osbeck, who's like a hymn historian, he said it touched more hearts and influenced more people for Christ than any other song ever written. So in his study of all these hymns and their influence, he's like, this is the one that's uh, brought the most people to Christ. And it's sweet because even her brother, who was a pastor, said, in the course of my long ministry, I've hoped that I've been permitted to see some fruit from my labors, but I feel more has been done by a single hymn of my sisters. And so uh, I just think how beautiful the legacy from a woman who thought she had nothing to contribute But, you know, this is why we never underestimate the Lord when we give him our suffering, kind of like what Cheryl was just saying uh, about the, you know, the sufferings that these people went through. And yet the beauty, the amazing things that the Lord can do if we give it to him, because she just purposed to give that to God. And he, he really just gave her this beautiful song. So that is Charlotte Elliott. And then we have uh, Anna Warner who was born in 1927, or 1827, sorry, in New York. And she and her older sister, Susan, uh, were the children of a very prominent uh, New York lawyer and businessman. Uh, Their mom died shortly after Anna was born. And so uh, nine years, and then nine years later, uh, their dad lost a lot of his wealth. There was an economic depression. And so they were struggling. So, you know, a lot of hard things in her young life. And they were forced to move out of the city, out of New York City. uh, And they ended up on Constitution Island, which is across the Hudson River from uh, West Point, uh, West Point Academy, Military Mm -hmm. Academy. And so uh, Anna and Susan eventually began writing children's books to kind of help make ends meet. And then when they, you know, came into adulthood, got a little older, they started teaching Bible studies to the West Point cadets. And it's so fun. Their ministry to the academy was so appreciated that Anna and Susan are actually buried at West Point Seminary. They're or seminary, cemetery <laughs> at West Point Cemetery. They're the only non-military people buried there, wow. the only civilians. Yeah, that's amazing. I know, isn't that sweet? And so, mm-hmm. and it was at the cadet's request. They're like, can we please bury mm. these women here? Because they were just so valued for what they had done spiritually for the cadets at the academy. And it's, uh, you know, and that's really cool. As cool as that is, uh, the most far-reaching and influential thing Anna ever did was to write really probably the most famous Christian song in history. 
Jesus loves me, this I know. Wow. <laughs> so she wrote, mm-hmm. I know, just as I am was also very influential, but Jesus no. loves me. I mean, that's children, adults, yep. everybody knows it's that so song mm-hmm. in a bazillion languages, right? And so uh, I, I, I just love that. And I love this. I said this before, I think when we were talking about Fanny Crosby, but it's true that uh, the greatest gospel outreach sometimes has taken place not from sermons, but from songs. Remember Fanny Crosby said, I think a lot of people will sing a song who wouldn't read a sermon. Mm-hmm. And so there's something about that, about the gospel going forth through song. And that's definitely the case with Jesus Loves Me. And as a side note, William Bradbury also wrote the music for Jesus. Uh, what, what did I? Oh, All sorry, the Jesus children of the world. Yeah, Jesus loves me this I know. He wrote the music for that too. It's yeah. like, dude, this guy, oh, wow. he just pops up everywhere. So I know that's a, men, a, a man worth knowing. But anyway, these are <laughs> back to the women. We don't know who those men are who yeah. are going to start <laughs> highlighting right. this. Yes, we'll throw that in there. Um, and so moving on to another gal, uh, we have Louisa Stead. And Louisa Stead, she was born in 1850. Um, and she was born in Dover, England. And she wanted to be a missionary to China Mm. from the time she was a teenager. Um, But when she was 21, she moved to America and she really felt called, um, uh, sorry, confirmed in that call to missions at a camp meeting she went to in Ohio. She's like, oh, I'm called to be a missionary. But she had, once again, such fragile health. Uh, And so she kind of just laid that call aside for the time being. She ended up marrying uh, a a Mr. Stead. I can't remember what his first name was. Um, I don't think I saw it actually in the notes, but anyways, when she was 25, she got married. And uh, in 1882, several years into their marriage, she and her husband and their their four-year-old daughter, Lily, um, they were having a picnic on Long Island. So they went to New York, they're having this picnic and they hear a a little boy out in the water crying for help, um, you know, because he was starting to drown. And so Mr. Stead, you know, of course, he just jumps in the water to go out and try to save this boy. And this boy. is her husband. This right? is her husband. Her mm-hmm. husband goes out to try to save the little boy. And I'm sure you you know the story. These things happen all the time where the person drowning starts panicking, right? And dragging down mm-hmm. the person that's trying to save them. And so tragically, you know, uh, Louisa is watching from the shore with her daughter as her husband and this little boy drown together. So, I I mean, it's just this traumatic moment. She's watching him drown right before her eyes and can't do anything about it. Um, And so this is just obviously devastating. And yet out of this traumatic experience, Louisa really learned to press into the Lord more than she ever had before. And so she was able from this experience to write the hymn, "'Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus." Mm. And so when you think about the lyrics to that song, it's like, wow. I I mean, really to have to, you know, to just come to that place where I'm going to trust him even with this, you know, and, and just thinking of the, again, thinking of the lyrics, sometimes I think it's good to read the lyrics and think about that, you know, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him or and or, Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. I mean, that was what she really needed. Like, I need grace to keep trusting you in this traumatic trial. And so um, this hymn obviously has had a powerful influence over the years. But just to finish her story, because her story's not done, although that's you know the main thing I wanted to highlight, what's so neat is that ultimately uh, the Lord answered her desire to be a missionary. And uh, she, uh, he actually opened the door after her husband died for Louisa and Lily to go to South Africa. 
And uh, she served there. She remarried to a South African uh, native, and they served together for 15 years uh, down there. And now they did have to actually go back to the States for about five years because she had really, you know, some health issues that came up. But in 1900, they were able to go back to the mission field. This time they went to Rhodesia, which is now modern day uh, Zimbabwe. And it's so sweet. Like even uh, her daughter, Lily, uh, married and continued missionary work in Rhodesia uh, as well. And so after Louisa died on the mission field in 1917, uh, the people there uh, still sang her hymn in their native language, which was Shona. And so how sweet that 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 hymn even had a lasting legacy overseas. So that was kind of a that was I thought that was kind of neat out of the hardship, out of the, you know, Mm -hmm. sadness and the tragedy. You know, that's kind of like the every most people are familiar with. um, Oh, gosh, what is it? The the the. When peace like a river, what what, what is it? I it is well with my soul. my soul. Yeah, most yeah, a lot of people are familiar with it as well with my soul and the you know how that was born out of such uh, tragedy um, that hymn. And so here's another one like out of that that sadness, uh, the Lord birthed a beautiful song that just has blessed so many generations. Um, then we have Eliza Hewitt. Okay, so Eliza Hewitt was born in 1851, and she graduated from the girls' normal school. I don't know what a normal school is, but in Philadelphia. And she was at the top of her class. She became a school teacher, loved teaching school. But one day, um, she was disciplining a student, and he got so angry. And I'm not really sure how this happened, but he picked up a slate. You know, they used to have to use these little chalkboard slates to write their, you know, learn their letters and do math problems and all that. And I don't know how big this slate was, but he was so mad at her. He took the slate and he beat her over the back with it, which is pretty crazy. I mean, it's like, whoa, behavioral issues. I guess it's, you know, nothing new under the sun. That was happening back then. He like beat her over the back and she uh, got injured so badly. I'm not really sure. Like I said, you read the story, you're like, whoa, how did that happen? He hit her uh, so hard. She ended up like having major, major back problems. She was in a body cast for six months. Wow. And I know, right? It's like, whoa. There was another account that said that she actually like uh, injured her back while she was supervising on the playground. I don't know. Whatever happened. But in those something years, bad happened. But in those years too, just having mm. recovery was so much harder. Yeah. They, yeah. They didn't have all we have like chiropractic mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. oh, we can, you know, do this for your, like a back surgery. Mm-hmm. They didn't have that option. And so she ended up dealing with chronic pain. Uh, for the rest of her life where she would, you know, try to go back to work and not be able to do it. And so just having to pace herself. And yet once again, out of suffering, she drew closer to the Lord. She wrote a ton of children's books and hymns, uh, including one uh, more about Jesus. And then uh, the one that I, that I was like, oh, that was, that was familiar to me. Not a super well-known one, uh, but it's called When We All Get to Heaven. Oh, yeah. And Matt Redmond. When we all get, get to heaven. heaven. Yeah. 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 And Matt Redmond uh, recently did a rendition of that. We'll I think that's how it got familiar. Jesus. Yes, exactly. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing we'll and sing, shout, shout the, the victory. victory. Yes. yes, exactly. I, 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 that's actually sung in a lot of funerals. Oh, interesting. Yeah. What a, wow, it's a cool one. To, yes, it yeah. really is. And, and like I said, that's kind of a newer one to me. I was like, oh, I love that. That's so My sweet. dad, oh, you know, he, it'll, um, he used to, uh, when he was, you know, progressing with his chemotherapy mm, and stuff, he started mm. wanting to sing that all the time. Oh, I love, oh man. That's yeah. so, exactly. There's that hope that's yep. in that song. And, yep. and it's actually kind of, this is a fun fact, something that you had brought up before. Uh, that song was actually birthed out of uh, Methodist camp meetings in Ocean Grove. 
Oh, Didn't you say Ocean yes, Grove was Ocean that Grove. Christian town yes. or whatever? Yeah. So, yeah, anyways. Only town that still has prohibition in the United States. Yes, exactly. So I guess there was quite a movement there yeah. in Ocean Grove. So uh, go ahead. Were you gonna I was going to jump that? in. Yeah. When you when you have a breath, I'll jump in with Annie Flint Johnson. Oh, yes. Okay. I'm get, Yes, I'll get, I'm getting there. So here we'll go. Uh, Phyllis. Oh, oh, here, this is an interesting one. Phyllis okay. Wheatley. Yeah, because I think we're doing good here. We're doing okay. good. Uh, she was born uh, in Africa around 1753. Okay, guys. So she's, uh, you know. Oh, we're going back. Uh, African, yep, an African woman. All right. Yes. And when she was seven or eight, she came to America on the slave ship Phyllis. And that's how she got her name, Phyllis Wheatley. Okay. Wow. And so her front teeth were missing. She was wearing a dirty piece of carpet. When she landed. Now, she was bought by a, a Bostonian family, the Wheatleys. That's how right. she got but her last name. But they loved her, right? They loved her. And they raised her just like she was their child. Yes. very. Yeah. You know about her. I Excellent. know her story. I love her story. Oh, it's so She's precious. such a woman worth knowing. She is a woman <laughs> worth knowing. <laughs> Yes. But she was really um, frail, so they didn't give her a lot of hard work. Like you said, they were very loving, and they kind of just had her um, serve the, the mistress of the house kind of a thing a little bit. And they were very progressive. John Wheatley, um, the, the husband, he was known as a progressive. And so, like, like Cheryl said, they kind of took her in as their own child, gave her an education. And this was huge, not yep. only because yep. she was... African, but also because she was woman. Like a woman. Mm-hmm. All of that would have mm-hmm. been really shocking. But yes. it's so cute. The Wheatley teenagers actually um, were the ones that tutored her mm-hmm. and taught her to read and write. And, and they realized how gifted she was. By the age of 12, yep. she was re- reading the Bible, uh, Greek and Latin classics. It was but, like, whoa. But one of the daughters went rushing into the mother saying, Mother Phyllis has written a poem. <laughs> and that was one of her first poems. And it was the sister that was so amazed oh, at this I love poetry. It. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, I mean, they were just like, wow, she is, is the word precocious. And yes. gift- yeah, she just caught on so quick. They were just amazed. So she came, she became a Christian, not surprising with such a loving, you know, godly family around her. She joined the Old South Meeting House, which I visited in Boston. That's fun. Ooh. In 1771. It's kind of cool. Old Ooh. historic building. I like this. And she, uh, then she began, like Cheryl said, writing the po- writing poetry. And, and there were a lot of strong spiritual themes in her poetry. She also wrote an elegy for uh, the great evangelist George Whitfield when he died. And that wow. was what really launched her. A lot of which people read that. Which is interesting because he was not an emancipationist. Right. He did. He wanted to preach the gospel to the slaves and the yes. African Americans, but he was really. That yeah. was a really hard one that back was. then. That oh was, my yeah. goodness, a yeah. sticky one. So uh, she, but this was what really launched her, and so uh, eventually the family, like you said, they recognized, like, wow, she's got a gift. We got to do something about this, and so she went with uh, John, John Wheatley, uh, to London to this get. This is the her- sad part. Yeah, to get, well, yeah, yes, I know it's so sad. So, but she gets her poetry published there because the Wheatleys thought it would be easier for her to get um, right. a publisher in England. And it was so cool because um, it was neat. Selena Hastings, Countess of Huntington, who yes. I'm going to do in a podcast eventually. Yes. We'll get to her. Yes. But she was the one who recognized her gift and financed the work. Yes. And in 1773, it was printed uh, as a collection called Poems on Various Subjects, Religious and Moral. Um, she was actually a big supporter of the War for Independence. Again, we're talking Revolutionary War era. She wrote a poem to George Washington, and he invited her to come meet yes. him at his headquarters in the middle of the war, Yes, which was kind of fun. Uh, but here's the thing, and this is what you were alluding to. So the Wheatleys had given Phyllis her freedom in 1773, but she loved them and lived with them until the older Wheatleys died in 1778. And that's when things kind of went downhill for her, sadly. Um, she married a freedman. 
I, I'm, I'm sure he was a, a sweet guy, John Peters, and yeah. they had three kids, but all their babies died young. Yes. And he had, I don't know if he had debt or if he just couldn't make ends meet, but he ended up in debtor's prison. And so she was trying so hard to make ends meet and she never had really great health anyway. And so um, she ended up passing away at 31, mm -hmm. so young. Uh, but she left a really significant legacy because she was the first uh, African-American poet and only the second female poet um, in American history. And so, I mean, wow, how amazing, really, you know, that here she is. It, not only was she the first African-American poet, but she was a woman. Yes. I mean, all of those things. And were, a Christian. And a godly woman. Godly, yes, godly. worth knowing. So, yes. <laughs> and yes. then just a couple more here. Uh, Ellen Lakshmi Gora. Now, this is another fun one because she was um, uh, from India. And so uh, she was born in Varanasi, India, into a oh, Christian. so well. Indi oh, right. A Christian Indian family. And they had been in the upper uh, caste, like uh, the Brahmin caste, but they had gotten saved, which was very unusual. A lot of times the upper caste people would resist Christianity because that meant giving up that position. Uh, but uh, her mom died soon after she was born. She ended up getting adopted by a pastor and his wife who took her to England uh, in 1865 for school. And then in 1880, she went back to India uh, to bring the gospel to her people, especially uh, the women there. But it's so cool. Before she left for India, she sent a poem she had written to, guess who? Frances Ridley Havergale. And remember how you were talking about her correspondence yes. and how Frances Ridley yes. Havergale encouraged so many people? Yes. This was big. She really encouraged Ellen and, 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 and said to her, because she saw the gift that the Lord had given yeah. her and said, I believe if you will lay your gift at his feet as a Brahmin who is now one with us in Christ, you will be giving help to the case of Zanana missions and female education in the East, which so far as I know, none but yourself can give. She said, you have a special opportunity, Ellen, for the gospel and the glory of God. Use your poetry as a gift. So I love the connection here because that this was an example of how Frances Ridley Havergale from her bed, you know, as an yes. invalid, was able to minister to this woman who went to India. And she took... Uh, those words to heart, she published a collection of poems, and one of them was used in D.L. Moody's uh, evangelistic outreaches, her most famous hymn, which was In the Secret of His Presence. Oh, I love that. How My Soul Delights to Hide. Mm -hmm. Yeah, such a precious hymn. And so, uh, and then I'm going to do two more, and then I want to hear about Annie Johnson. So, yes. uh, Sarah Pollard, um, she was born in Bloomfield, Iowa. And she actually went by Adelaide because she hated her name. For some reason, she hated the name Sarah. I don't know I why. I like C.S. Lewis going by Jack. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, I don't like <laughs> Yeah. And she was uh, she was a little spitfire. She was a teacher. She was an evangelist. She was kind of a mystic. And actually, um, I guess she had some kind of faith healing ministry. She got healed from diabetes. And so wow. she went out and was just like, yeah. you know, healing and stuff like that. So quite a, like I said, quite a dynamo. Um, and she really wanted to be a missionary to Africa, but she was really frustrated because she could not raise the funds to go. And then in 1902, so she's about 40 years old and she's like, man, I just can't do what I want to do for the Lord. She goes to this prayer meeting and an elderly woman said, Lord, it doesn't matter what you bring into our lives. Just have your way with us. And that convicted her, like, I am fighting against what the Lord wants for me. And so she goes home and she's meditating on what this woman said. And she turns to Jeremiah 18 and reads about the potter and the clay. And out of this, she have wrote the hymn, thine own Have way. thine own way, Lord. Exactly. Thou art the potter, I, I am, am the, the clay. clay. And so that became a, another really significant, well-known hymn. And I will say, after that surrender, she eventually did make it to Africa. And she served as a missionary until World War I. And then 
we have Christina Rossetti. And she's kind of a probably a more well-known one. She was a very significant English poet in the 19th century. People argued over whether she or Elizabeth Barrett Browning, who was also a Christian, yes. whether they were the greatest of the era. Uh, her dad was an Italian poet, a political exile who immigrated to England in 1824, uh, married a scholar and a teacher. So Christina and her siblings were raised very, you know, uh, in a very accomplished home, very intellectual home. Uh, her brothers became painters and they founded an art movement called the Pre-Raphaelite Brotherhood. Uh, she herself wrote over 900 poems. A lot of wow. them were very devotional. Yes. And it's interesting. Her family was evangelical, but they caught, caught up in the Oxford movement, which I think you mentioned before. So they became Anglican. But uh, she was very devout. Um, she served for many years in a ministry to former prostitutes. And even though she had many suitors, you know, look at pictures of her. I was like, dang, she was a, she was a looker. But <laughs> she never married because none of them had the same uh, strong conviction. Yeah, Christian conviction she did. They didn't have the same strong faith in Jesus. And so in 1871, she came down with Graves' disease, which disfigured her face, almost killed her. That's a thyroid issue. Yes. And, and back then, they wouldn't have known right. how to treat it properly. So she survived and wrote uh, poetry for another 23 years. Um, she wrote famous poems like Goblin Market, uh, Remember. Um, it's the one that's Remember Me When I Am Gone Away, Gone Far Away Into the Silent Land. Some of you might have heard of that poem. But the one people are most fam familiar with probably is the one they that turned into a Christmas carol, uh, In the Bleak Midwinter. And uh, I love some of the lyrics to In the Bleak Midwinter for those who aren't familiar with it. Um, let me just read this quickly. Our God, heaven cannot hold him, nor earth sustain. Heaven and earth shall flee away when he comes to reign. In the bleak midwinter, a stable place sufficed, the Lord God Almighty, Jesus Christ. What can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what I can, I give him, give him my heart. So that was her heart. I mean, just to give all to Jesus. And that was expressed really beautifully in that Christmas carol. And then, you know, there's several other, I mean, there's so many like honorable mentions and Bradstreet, America's first public published poet, her and Phyllis Wheatley, they were like the, you know, the big guns of poetry in America in the early years. Uh, part of the Puritan migration uh, to the Massachusetts Bay Colony. Uh, you know, Rhea Miller, who wrote, I'd Rather Have Jesus. That was influential in leading George Beverly Shea into the ministry. And he ended up going and serving with Billy Graham. Uh, you'll like this one, Jenny Hussey. She wrote Lead Me to Calvary, which your dad used to sing all oh, the time yeah, he at the did. end of services. So uh, a lot of really amazing, remarkable women. And then one last one, if you want to just share on this. Um, okay, I just want to read these lyrics because I love Oh, for Annie Johnson yes. Flint, right? Yes, Annie Johnson Flint. Very good. He giveth more grace as our burdens grow greater. He sendeth mm. more strength as our labors increase. To added afflictions, he added mm. his mercy. To multiply trials, his multiplied peace. And I love this part. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed, um, ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. Mm. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power, no boundary, no one unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Beautiful. So this is like inspired more people. It was one of my mom's favorite. Mm. Annie Johnson Flint was born in 1866 on Christmas Eve mm. um, in Vineland, New Jersey. 
Two years later, her mother giving birth to her little sister died. Her father couldn't handle it, so he gave him to this mean widow. They don't even give her name, but they gave her to this mean widow. And then when the mean widow um, couldn't take it, but there was this lady that they ended up calling Auntie Susie. She was just a single woman. And the single woman was boarding with this couple, Mr. and Mrs. Flint, who couldn't have any children. So she told him about these two little girls, Mm -hmm. and they went and saw the girls and adopted the girls, Annie and her sister. And they gave them a Christian um, upbringing. And it said that no one could have had uh, been more loving than the Flints were. They just loved them as their own daughter. At eight years old, they took them to an evangelistic meeting where Annie and her sister gave their hearts to Jesus. So one's like six, one's eight. And after that, she began to write poems. In her life, she wrote 83 published mm. poems. So then she went to college. They put her through you know, high school at that time, which was like a college. And she started teaching. She absolutely loved, loved teaching children. During this time, the Flints died. So she's teaching children. The Flints died, and she comes down with crippling arthritis, and Mm. she becomes so crippled by it and so helpless Mm. that she can't um, teach school at all. And about this time, um, Auntie Susie comes back in and helps her and uh, lives with her and helps her through the invalid stage. Mm. But that's it's in that... um, Suffering, yeah, in that suffering that she writes, he giveth more grace, which oh, is probably her cool most known, which has helped countless missionaries and blessed mm, so many people. Mm. And it was, um, it was one of Jenny Mitchell's who we mentioned before. Yeah. It was one of her uh, sons, stepsons, that gave the tune that we sing to oh, "He Giveth More Grace." How cool. So she ended up dying in 1932. Um, she lived most of her life in sanatoriums because that's what mm. they used to do yeah. because she couldn't walk. She couldn't do anything. Wow. But even from her sanatorium, she continued to write poems and publish. Oh, that's so beautiful. So, so you see, guy, you know, a, a theme here with these with these gals and the sufferings yes. uh, that a lot of them went through different trials and, and that sort of a thing, but how the Lord was able to redeem those things. I was reminded, I was looking through, uh, you know, these stories again this morning and just, I thought of Jesus when the woman anointed him with oil and she said, she has done what she could. That's right. And I just think that's what these gals did. A lot yes. of them, they felt like they couldn't do anything. They just did what they could and, and especially, the Lord used it. Yes. In those days for women. Yes. For women, the accomplishments were crazy. So we've got 30 yes. seconds, but we're just <laughs> that these are women oh, worth knowing that that inspire us through mm. suffering and hardship and even a culture that was very oppressive mm. to serve Jesus with all their heart and to have a song come forth. Yes. What a beautiful song from the fire. Yes. That's right. <laughs> so these are women worth knowing. Thank you for joining Jasmine and myself, Cheryl Broderson, in this edition of Women Worth Knowing. Bye. Thank you for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnett. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow Jasmine on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at wwk at cccm.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you've subscribed and don't forget to rate us on your podcast app and share it with friends. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnett.